first five verses of chapter 16 in the book of Acts. And, of course, we stand, as I do remind you on a regular basis, we stand in honor of God's word, even as we were uh, taught to do this by the priest Ezra in the book of Nehemiah, standing as the word of God is being read. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as he went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And Father, we pray for the outpouring of your Spirit upon this place, upon each heart. Lord, might he do his work in giving us understanding, might he open the eyes of our hearts? Might we, might we have the kind of comprehension that not only allows us to understand what you are saying, Lord, but also to be empowered to do the things that we are encouraged to do today. Lord, have your way with us. Lord Jesus, be glorified. Might your spirit do his work in glorifying you through this uh, message and in our hearts. So God, we give ourselves to you now. Lord, have your way in our hearts. Lord, we submit to you that you will continue your work in us through your word to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we enter into this 16th chapter, we, we see a basically a new uh, missionary journey beginning. Uh, actually, we, we saw that uh, begin to take place at the end of the 15th chapter. Uh, we, we saw in that 15th chapter that uh, after the decision was made at the council in Jerusalem to uh, determine or really give answer to the question about the Gentiles, you know, the, these Jewish believers being Jewish as they were, of course, uh, very Jewish and, and uh, um, very much following the, the, the things and the law of Moses. You know, the question was coming up, you know, Gentiles are now hearing the gospel. They are now acknowledging Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, as Savior. They're acknowledging that he died for their sins and that because of that, they can establish a relationship with God. But what do we do with them in terms of, of the way that they should act, the things that they should do? We, we, we've learned throughout the centuries of what a Jewish person, what a person who's a part of the family of God ought to do, the way that he or she ought to act, the, the uh, various uh, uh, things that we need to keep, the commandments and, 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 and so forth, the uh, sacrifices and, and all those kinds of things. And, you know, shouldn't they do the same as they enter into the family of God? And so th this became an issue, of course, for them. And, and we, we saw that settled. Just a few things were mentioned or, or given for the Gentiles to do. Even as Peter uh, was talking to the group, he said, why would we saddle them? This is my own language. It's a paraphrase. But why would we saddle them with a bunch of commandments that we can't even keep? You know, let's allow them to be free in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that, that's basically what it came down to. And so uh, they... they left from Jerusalem, Paul and, and uh, Barnabas, uh, went back to Antioch. There was a group of people that went with them, Silas being one of them with a, a few other guys that sent, by, uh, sent 
from Jerusalem by James and the rest of the leaders and to, to, to make this pronouncement to the church in Antioch. And it was Paul's purpose that he would uh, basically go to the various churches that had already been established on his first missionary journey to, one, check up on them, to follow up with them. Uh, secondly, to give them the news that, that uh, of this decision that was made in Jerusalem by the, the apostles and the elders. And so we, we see them um, going back to Antioch uh, and as they had determined to begin this, this next journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. We, we, we learned that John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, um, but a young man that Barnabas uh, believed could be used by the Lord. And he, of course, he went on that first missionary journey. First chance he got, he left uh, from, from the city of Perga, we remember, in chapter 13. He left, and Paul wasn't real happy about that. And we see that in this 15th chapter, Paul and Barnabas really um, contention uh, rose, rose among them as Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. And Paul was saying, no, he bailed on us. We can't have someone who's just going to be wishy-washy and bail on, on this journey, the work is too important. No. And that contention grew so strong that Barnabas and Paul separated. Barnabas took John Mark, went to the island of Cyprus, where Barnabas was from, you remember. And then Paul chose Silas, who had come from Jerusalem with them. Obviously, Paul and Silas hit it off. Paul believed that Silas could be used by the Lord. He saw him as that kind of a man. And, and so he took him with him on the journey. And so we see in verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, one of the things that we want to take note of is that as they left Antioch in Syria, they went north they traveled north via land through Cilicia over to Tarsus, where, where Paul was from, and then uh, uh, to, to the north of the Mediterranean Sea and traveling west toward the area of Galatia. The area It's a broad area where that letter to the Galatians was written. And, and these cities, Derby and Lystra and Iconium, are a part, all a part of the southern part of the, the uh, region of Galatia. So they were just traveling on land rather than by sea when they went to Cyprus first and then they went the other direction. Remember, in the first missionary journey, Derby and Lystra were the last cities that they went to. Well, now they're the first cities that they're going to uh, of those that, that, we have, that, that they had gone to. And so when they came to Derby and Lystra, there in verse 1, we see that they met a certain disciple well, we don't see, it doesn't say that they met. A certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, it could very well be that Paul had met Timothy earlier on the first missionary journey. Timothy, Timothy being a young man, but a young man who came to faith through Paul's ministry in the, during that first trip. Um, he was there. He's a son of a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was... Greek. Now, as they come back to Derby and Lystra, you might remember that some pretty heavy things took place in Lystra in the first missionary journey. Now, this had taken place two or three years prior to what's going on right now. So the first trip, first time they were in Lystra, a couple years ago. Now they come again. And there is this disciple by the name of Timothy. Well, last time that they were there, if we read Acts 14, verses 5 through 7, we see these words. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it. This was in Iconium. And, bled, and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding region, and they preached the gospel there. So they preached the gospel there in Lystra and Derby before, and 
there in Lystra, in chapter 14, verses 8 to 10, we see that, that Paul heals a lame man. And as he does so, the people in Lystra, in their paganism and their worship of, of the Greek gods, they thought that they were Greek gods being, being manifest as men because of this healing, and they wanted to worship them. Uh, they, they wanted to offer sacrifices to them, if you, if you remember. Uh, and they were going to do so, but Paul and Barnabas would have nothing of it, and they were barely able to uh, uh, um, convince them that they ought not to offer sacrifices because they are just simply mere men, just like the rest of them. We see that toward the 18th verse of chapter 14. And then in the 19th chapter, there a group of Jews came from Iconium, convinced the people that they ought to kill, that they ought to kill him, that they ought to stone Paul for his blasphemy. Now, they didn't like him anyway at this point because first Paul and Barnabas embarrassed them by refusing to be uh, uh, worshipped by them. He had told them that they needed to move on from their foolish ways in, in worshipping false gods. I'm sure they didn't take that real lightly. So it probably wasn't real hard for them to be convinced by these Jewish uh, uh, believers. By these Jewish, I shouldn't say believers because they, they, these probably weren't among the, the, the believers who were there, but the Jewish people there in the city of Iconium, they came down and, and they just riled up the crowd and, and so they dragged him outside the city and stoned him, left him for dead. And you remember that the disciples gathered around Paul we have no idea what they did. They, all we're told is they gathered around Paul. And as they did gather around him, he got up and they went back into the city of Lystra. Spent the night there. The next day, they went to Derby. Well, as all that happened in Lystra, remember, Timothy is from that area. He could have witnessed all of this. We're told, and we see in this passage, uh, Timothy's mother is mentioned. She could have been with him watching all of this. And we do see that he, he had a grandmother also um, by the name of Lois. His mother's name was Eunice. Uh, the, the two of them could have seen all this along, along with Timothy and that, that first trip and just amazed. And, and whatever it was, I mean, it's like Tim, Timothy came to the Lord, after a couple years, he had gained a, a reputation. He was spoken of highly by the believers in Iconium and Lystra, as we see in this passage. He's a, a, a man who, I mean, he could have very well, when he watched what happened with the Apostle Paul, in his heart, he could have been saying, I want to be like that guy. Certainly, the Apostle Paul was one who would have that effect on people. You know, younger men who want to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, watching someone very serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and those of us who are older as believers, you know, um, we, we, we see Paul in, in this aspect of his life that's something that we ought to be pursuing in our own lives, guys. Uh, and, and, and you women as well. All of us who are older in the Lord. You know, we, we ought to have in us this desire to be used by God to be an example of what it means to be a person of God following after Jesus and becoming more and more like Jesus as we grow older and older and older, as our relationship with, with Him grows. You know, uh, Paul wrote in... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, and, you know, I, I know that for me personally, that is something that the Lord put in my heart many, many, many years ago. I, I, I want to be like the Apostle Paul in that way. And ultimately, really, it's I want to be like Jesus. But as Paul said, Watch me become more and more like Jesus and just follow along as you watch me. That's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. That's what I want to be able to say to others who may be watching me. 
you know, watch me follow Jesus, and we'll go on this path together toward him, toward greater Christ-likeness, being more like him. That's what's going on. And so while we're not told this here, I suspect that that was one of the things that was going on, especially when young Timothy, now he's probably, even at this point, two or three years later, still probably a teenager, maybe in his early 20s at this time. So even as a, you know, maybe a 16-year-old watching all this take place, watch this guy in, in his in his fervor and in, and, and in his uh, 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 passionate following after Christ and preaching the truth to the point that he would get people upset with him because he's telling the truth, not because he's trying to upset them, but because they are upset because they don't want to agree with, they disagree with him. And, and then they drag him out of the city, stone him, and we, and we talked about this. You know, we, we're not sure whether or not he actually died or not, but they certainly thought he was dead. And some believe that he had died, and he, and he went, to the, went to heaven and had a visit there. And when Paul writes about that in Galatians, about, about knowing a man who was, was in heaven and so forth, he's talking about that particular experience. It could very well be. All we know is they thought he was dead. The Jews thought he was dead. The, the uh, disciples thought he was dead. And he jumps up and walks into the city with them. Whether there was a miracle of resurrection or not, we're not sure. But at the very late, least, this was a man who was injured so greatly through the stoning that they thought he was dead. There was a miraculous healing at the very least. And so next day they went to Derby. Well, Anyway, all this had to influence Timothy a great deal. They meet this young man there. Again, I, we don't know if this is the first time they met him or not, but there he is. We're told that he's a son of a Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. And, and the, the language, the, the, the tense of was Greek it's not in the present perfect, it's in the past tense, and it, it would indicate that his father probably had died. We don't know how long ago that, that was, but he was there with his mom and with his grandmother as well. 2 Timothy 1.5 tells us this, Paul writing to Timothy in the second letter that he wrote to him, this pastoral epistle. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Uh, apparently, all three of them came to faith through Paul's ministry. And, and the way that, that, that Paul writes Lois and Eunice first and then Timothy, you know, how long a period of time in between, we don't know, but Paul does call Timothy, his genuine son in the faith. And so he came to faith through Paul's ministry for sure. Um, Timothy being both Jewish and Gentile, because of that, uh, he had access to both cultures. And Paul wanted to take advantage to, of that. That's not the only reason, of course, that he wanted to take him on this missionary journey, but one of them. He saw him as someone who would be useful to him for ministry. But we saw in this third, um, in the second verse that he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And so they've been watching him for a couple years. They were impressed with his growth in the Lord, with, with his unusual maturity at that age. Uh, with his desire to serve the Lord. And no doubt, I mean, we're not told anything about the process that Paul went through to come to a place of determining that, you know, I want this young man with us. We're not told that, but you've got to assume that he spent some time with him. He wouldn't just merely go on the basis of what the others said, although that's an important aspect of it. And that's something that all of us want, is we want to be well spoken of, don't we? We want to be well spoken of, but we have to be careful. Paul himself 
spoke of the reality in his letter to the Galatians that, that he is not one who would serve man. If he was, a, he was a servant of men, he would not be a bondservant of Christ. He's a servant of Jesus. But as a servant of Jesus, we do serve people as well, right? But Paul is talking about priority, serving God first and then men and women, the church, secondly. Not allowing that to get reversed because when we allow that to get reversed, when we de determine that we're going to serve people first, then God gets put behind that, of course, and then we begin to make decisions in serving people that are displeasing to the Lord. That is something that I think that is precisely what has taken place within the church today that has caused some denominations to allow um, homosexuals to become pastors, for example. Pleasing people first rather than pleasing God first. Let's not be a people pleaser. Serve them, yes, but we live to please God as Paul lived to please God. We've got to be careful about that. But certainly, Timothy was a young man who, who sh showed to the Apostle Paul that he had a servant's heart, a servant's heart, serving God first and then people secondly. One of the things involved with with selecting uh, Timothy had to be, and, and we think about the, the, the letter that, 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 the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. In chapter 3 of 1 of Timothy, we see qualifications for uh, bishops or overseers as well as deacons. And while certainly Timothy was not in a place to become an overseer, he was in a place that he could, would become a deacon, waiting on tables. And doing those kinds of things. That's what he would do as his, as his helper, as his assistant, his aid on the missionary journey. So he, he, he saw that taking place. So, so one of those qualifications being that a, a, a leader must be um, beyond reproach or blameless. In 1 Timothy 3, 2a, the first part of verse 2, a bishop or overseer then must be blameless. But even with the, the, the deacons, chapter 3, verse 10 of 1 Timothy, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So a, a life above reproach is, is important. Certainly, Timothy met that qualification as a young man, as I mentioned, unusually um, mature. Uh, for his age. In verse 3, we see that Paul wanted to have him go on, go on with him. Paul recognized that Timothy was useful for ministry, wanted to bring him along. He probably had sat down with him and had an, uh, uh, at least a few conversations with him so that he could gain a, a sense of what this young man was all about. But he saw him as useful. Going on this trip would be a very important thing for Timothy. He was going to see things. Now, he already had seen some things, most likely. Certainly knew, if he didn't witness it with, with his own eyes, as we talked about Paul and being stoned and all that, um, he certainly knew about it. And this was a step for Timothy in his ministry. And, and, and something that, that I have seen and experienced firsthand and watched it in the lives of others, you know, um, mission trips can be incredibly valuable in terms of growth for a person who wants to serve God. Incredibly valuable. We go on a mission trip to serve other people in another culture, and, and it's an exciting thing, of course, to do that, and, and you feel like a missionary and all that, but, you know, we've got to come home and do the same thing, to serve in the same way amongst our own uh, fellow church members, you know, as we, as we do that. And, and when that takes place, we see growth taking place in an individual. 
But I want you to imagine something. Timothy being a young man, 16, 18, 22, something like that, somewhere around that. Probably more likely around 18 or so by this time. Um, the Apostle Paul wants to take him on this journey. His mom, Timothy's mom, Eunice, and his grandma, Lois, they hear, they, they, they hear these things. The Apostle wants to take them with him. They know what happened to the, to the Apostle Paul. They were very familiar with the dangers that inherently were there for someone preaching the gospel in these pagan cities, especially in the synagogues of these pagan cities. They had to deal with this. Mom and grandma had to deal with this in their own hearts. You know, even whether or not we see that they had authority over him at this point in time, depending on how young he was, we don't know for sure. But he wanted to go. Paul wanted him to go. Timothy wanted to serve the Lord. You know, every Christian mom wants their son to serve the Lord, you know, even to be involved in ministry. We want to see that. Yet something so dangerous that he himself could find himself in a position like the Apostle Paul where attempts would be made on his life? No mom wants that. I guess the point is, are we willing to allow and give our blessing? I kind of get the sense that Timothy was going and he would just like mom's blessing. Right? I think that's probably what was going on. But to give a blessing for something like this that was so dangerous, it, it requires something. It requires seeing, serving God as more important than the physical welfare of your child. If God can, can if, if, if my son can be useful to the Lord in ministry, goes to a dangerous place where he could be killed, it's like, well, Lord, we're going to trust you. You are able to protect him for as long as you want to use him. So we're going to give him to you. Much as we dedicated little Caleb this morning, you know, God's able to do what he wants to do. And he's able to protect a life until that life is no longer in a place where God wants to use him. You know, um, and, 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 and we see that through the scriptures. Back in, in the 12th chapter, you know, Peter and, and, and James, the, the, the brother of John, were, were both taken into custody. James was, was, was executed. The people appreciated that. They grabbed Peter. They put him in jail. Uh, he was going to be executed, but the Passover had come. They wanted to wait until the, the celebration was over, but, but the Lord rescued him. He delivered him from the prison and, and, and saved him. You know, and the question is, why was Peter saved but not J James? What's up with that? You know, is that like, that's one of those things that we can't really put a finger on ourselves. We don't understand, other than, obviously, it was God's will for it to work out this way. I think the best way to understand it is, well, God was through using James, so he said, okay, son, I'm done with you. Come on up. Peter, you're staying. I want to use you some more. That kind of thing. That kind of thing. Do we want to be used by God? He can protect us. He will protect us until it's our time to go to be home with him. And might we have the the the... the uh, attitude of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Philippians, you know, whether to stay here or whether to be with, with, the, with the Lord, and you know, I'm caught between the two, you know, it's something that, uh, I, can't, I can't decide what's best, but I know this, to be, go to be with the Lord would be better for me, but for me, to, for me to stay here, it's better for you, because God will use me to serve you. Isn't that where all of our hearts should be? We are here to serve God. And in serving God, we serve his people. And until we go home to be with him, that's what our life ought to be all about.
to occupy until he comes for us. That means be about the Lord's business until he comes for us. Did Timothy's mom and grandma really want him to go? I would say the answer was hesitatingly, yes. We want you to serve God. And we, we place you in his hands. Well, as he goes, certainly we see that in the same way that Silas replaced Barnabas, Timothy replaced John Mark on this missionary journey. That, that's what we see taking place. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit led them, led uh, uh, Paul and Silas to head out on this journey the way that they did on land, the way that we described earlier, uh, so that they would go to these cities first, so that Timothy could join the, 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 this journey early on and be used by the Lord, rather than at the tail end of it. Timothy would play a, a key role in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 4.17, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you, Paul writing to the Corinthians, of course, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. In Philippians 2.19-22, we see these words. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel." Why, what great words shared by the Apostle Paul about Timothy. Especially when he says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Too many people, even servants of God, too many people who are seeking their own. Rather than truly seeking what is best for others. Seeking to serve them. Here we find again an example to follow as Paul writes about Timothy. Timothy was, he, he grew in the Lord to a place where Paul considered him to have the same mind. He could trust him. I know, Timothy, when you speak, you're going to speak the things that I would speak. As the Lord uses you, as you're filled with the Holy Spirit as I am, it's your desire to serve Him first as it is mine. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing we see there. So he became someone who would be very much used by the Lord at the side of the Apostle Paul. Timothy was a true son in the faith, as we see in 1 Timothy 1.2. In the greeting to that first letter, that's what he calls him, a true son in the faith. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he calls him a beloved son. Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus, established by, of course, the Apostle Paul. We see in 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There were problems in the area, problems even within the church, people who wanted to teach things that weren't truly of the Lord. And Paul said, you're staying there as the pastor to make sure that that doesn't happen. Keep the teaching in the church pure. And of course, Timothy received two pastoral letters from the Apostle Paul in terms of the training and directions and understanding the role of a pastor so in this third verse, after we see that, that Paul determines he wants to take Timothy, then in the second sentence there in that verse, we, say, we see, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. 
Now, didn't, didn't we just now see in chapter 15 something related to those who are Greek, uh, those who are Gentiles? He had a Gentile father, that they didn't need to follow their Jewish traditions or the Jewish law. They just follow after Christ, right? But now he wants Timothy to be circumcised, and he did circumcise him. Well, we, we, we see that the reason is there in verse 3 because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. You know, I, I, I like the way that F.F. F. Bruce explains this. I'm just going to read what he said, and then I'm going to read a few verses that support what he has to say as we go through. This will take a couple minutes. Bruce writes, it was Timothy's mixed parentage that made Paul decide to circumcise him before taking him along as his junior colleague. By Jewish law, Timothy was a Jew because he was the son of a Jewish mother. But because he was uncircumcised, he was technically an apostate Jew. If Paul wished to maintain his links with the synagogue, he could not be seen to countenance apostasy. He set his face implacably against any move to circumcise Gentile believers like Titus. In Galatians 2, 3 through 5, we see these words, Paul writing to the Galatians. He said, not yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. F.F. Bruce continues writing, but Timothy was in a different situation. For Paul, circumcision in itself was a matter of indifference. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. I do want to remind you that this letter to the Galatians was a letter to the church in Galatia, the same area. They, they had been pagans before, worshiping according to the Greek culture. Now they've come to Christ, and Paul writes them saying, you know, whether you're circumcised or not makes no difference to God. Being circumcised, following the Jewish traditions and the Jewish law, that doesn't make you closer to him. If you're Jewish, that's what you ought to be doing. But once you come to Christ, you don't have to. But we see here that Paul is saying that it, 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 it avails nothing it is no benefit to you. And he's speaking to women as well in the sense of circumcision representing following the law. Following the law. That, that, that's what's an important thing to see here. And then later in the same letter, Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So what matters is faith working through love, chapter 5, verse 6, or being a new creation, chapter 6, verse 15, in, Galatia, in Galatians. A new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what matters. Now, Bruce continues writing, Only when it was regarded as a condition of acceptance with God, as a condition of acceptance with God, did it involve a lapse from grace and the obligation to keep the whole law of Moses. So, Paul, so Bruce is acknowledging that Paul had the attitude, if you're saying that being circumcised is going to help you be made right with God, absolutely not. But as Bruce said, Timothy's situation was different. Galatians 5, 3, and 4, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you take that step, then you got to take every step in following the entire law of Moses. You become estranged from Christ. 
you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Grace tells us that we are saved simply and only and totally, completely by the work of Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, taking our sins away from us. We've received life through the work of Christ. It's grace, something that is given. It's a gift and something that can't be earned. If it's earned, it's not a gift. It's a debt. God owes us nothing, and he never will owe us anything. Sometimes we in our, in our flesh can do things for God, feeling like that's somehow going to get us on the right side of him. You know, it might work with our mom and dad. It might work with our husband or wife. It might work with people, but not with God. Our, our relationship with him is based solely on the grace that comes to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Totally and completely. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do things for God? No. It means we should not do things for God, expecting God to respond to that and, and that we'll gain more favor with him because of what we do. No. We do things for God purely for this reason, to honor and glorify him. And in that, we also wind up serving our fellow man, serving our brothers and sisters within the church. Bruce still still writing. I still want to read the rest of this. Timothy's circumcision was a minor surgical operation. I'm not sure if Timothy would have agreed with that. Uh, carried out for a practical purpose, his greater usefulness in the ministry of the gospel. No doubt, Paul was charged with inconsistency for his action as he has been charged in more recent times. But the consistency, but the consistency which some would like to impose on Paul is that foolish consistency which Ralph Waldo Emerson describes as, quote, the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines, end quote. <laughs> I like that. Those who deplore the absence of this consistency from Paul miss the higher consistency which aimed at bringing all the activities of his life and thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. As Paul wrote, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And Bruce went on and wrote, and at subordinating every other interest to the paramount interests of the gospel. As he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.23, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the truth of God's word. For the sake of that good news that Jesus has died for the sins of the world. For the sake of the gospel. And we've got to ask ourselves that question, do we live... Do we do, do we breathe, do decisions that we make, are they based on that aspect of our lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that why we do what we do for the sake of the gospel? Something to ask ourselves. Let's continue asking ourselves that question. So, Timothy became very, very useful and Paul had him circumcised so that, he, so that Timothy would be seen because of the Jewish law as a Jewish mother. He was, he was Jewish. And if he had not been circumcised, he would be seen as an apostate. But now that he was circumcised, he gained access to the Jews so that he could minister to them. 
had nothing to do with being right with God, had everything to do with putting himself in a position to be able to serve God among a particular group of people. As, as Paul had written, you know, circumcision, uncircumcision to God, it's nothing. Doesn't gain, gain anyone any kind of favor. So, verse 4, the journey continues. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. You remember in chapter 15, this whole thing, we, do, we went through it already, the question about what do we do with the Gentiles in terms of following Jewish law and all. And that's, th- those are the things that they delivered. So it, it, it was more than that, though, because as we see in verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Back in verse 41, the last verse of chapter 15, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So he, he went through those areas, to those churches, as, as he wanted to follow up and see how they're doing, and at the same time deliver these decrees that were given by the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem to the Gentiles in terms of the things that they needed to do, which are very few. And, and, and so the... the the Gentiles in these churches were, 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 were basically filled with joy in the freedom that they had to serve Jesus Christ, even as they were as, as Greeks, as Gentiles. But it was more than that news. They, they continued to preach the gospel. Now, verse 6, we're going to be looking at this next week and, and the following verses but note verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, that gives us a, 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 a clue in terms of what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing anyway. They were preaching the word in these cities as these... Um, Churches were being en- en- encouraged and strengthened, preaching the word, giving the, the news about the decrees, but preaching the word. And, and, and these, um, these, these Greeks, these, these Gentiles who had placed their faith in Christ were relieved to know that they didn't have to become Jews. They could just follow him freely. And those Greeks who did not give their hearts to Christ, now knew that that was an obstacle that would be removed if they gave their heart to Christ. They wouldn't have to do those things, follow those laws and so forth. They were free. Free to just simply worship God and serve Him. To love God first, to love people secondly, as Jesus gave us those two commands. That's something for certain that Paul and Silas and Timothy gave to the others. I'm sure that they repeated what Peter said to the group of uh, uh, the rest of the apostles uh, alongside the, the elders as well there in Jerusalem. When in chapter 15, verse 11, Peter said, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. As in the same manner, we as Jews will be saved in the same manner as they, the Gentiles. Important, important stuff here. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that, that Paul would write to the Ephesians. It's a very popular passage of Scripture. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. Are you thankful for that gift this morning? It's a gift of God. You did, I did, none of us did anything to earn it or deserve it. In fact, the more we learn of Scripture, the more we realize we can't. We realize how far from God we were before he drew us to himself. 
how little we deserve and the reality of what we actually do deserve. Utter and complete eternal banishment from his presence because of our sinfulness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, the churches were strengthened by all this. Strengthened and there was an increase in their number. Daily, on a daily basis, the church was being increased. Reminds us of what we saw back in the second chapter of Acts. Verse 47. The second part of that verse says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So always remember that. The Lord added to the church daily. It's his job to add to the church. It's not your job. It's not my job. It's no man's job, no person's job. It's God's job. The Lord adds to the church. That reminds us of what we see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus speaking to Peter tells him, you are Peter, you are a little pebble. And in that 18th verse, he continues, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, there were some who say that when, when, when he spoke of Peter being a little pebble, that's what the word Peter means, Cephas, a little pebble, and on this rock. Some people think on this rock means on that little pebble, the church is going to be built. That's what, I mean, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. Something we don't see there is, I mean, we, we read what Jesus said, but we don't hear the, the, the fluctuations in the voice, you know, the emphases that he may have placed on it, or even his hand motions. I see it this way. Jesus, Jesus said, you're Peter, you're, you're, little, you're little stone, you're little pebble. But on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. We find here that the church belongs to Jesus. I will build my church. It's no human being's church. We belong to it. We're a part of it. We belong to Jesus. It's his church. We also see that he's the one who builds it. We already touched on that, he adds to the church. He builds it himself. And he builds it upon himself. He's the rock upon whom the church is built. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul is writing about the church. He's writing to the church how they had been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The church built, basically, the apostles and prophets. That's speaking of the Word of God. The Old Testament, the prophets. The New Testament, the apostles. The Word of God that came through them to us that we have here in His Word. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's truly the one upon, wh on, upon whom the church is built. The chief cornerstone. If he, if he weren't there, it would fall apart. But he is there, so it doesn't. And of course, Jesus went on to say in that passage there in Matthew 16, verse 18, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. As much as there are move, movements within our culture to destroy the church, it can't happen. It will not happen. It won't. The church will stand. Now, that doesn't mean our nation will stand. Jesus never said, I will, I, I will build the United States of America. <laughs> he said, I'll build the church. So we as members of the church, first and foremost, see, it's the problem with, some, with, with, with many Americans who are Christians, that's what it is. They're Americans who are Christians. no. We are Christians who are Americans. And we have Christians, brothers and sisters, in, in other nations. 
but Christians first. Our citizenship is first where? In heaven. First there. And so while as patriots we, 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 we grieve what we see taking place in our culture, in our nation, as we are growing further and further and further away from the truths of Scripture, we grieve that. I love our country. And I am a citizen here. But I am first a citizen of heaven. And Jesus said, the gates of Hades, all the powers of hell cannot destroy the church. Why? Because it's Jesus' church. If it belonged to people, it could be destroyed. It belongs to Jesus. It can't. Right? So let us remain faithful to that, understanding the reality of who we are as a children of God. This, this, the, 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 this, this body that we belong to as the church. Brothers and sisters serving al alongside each other to the honor and glory of God himself. And as we keep our eyes focused on him, he sends us, he uses us in the lives of other people around us. And as he is glorified, people around us become blessed. Because when, when, when I serve Jesus, I serve you. When you serve Jesus, you serve me. We serve each other. We do. But it's Jesus first, isn't it? It's his church. So, Timothy had become a part of this. He's our brother. Even as Paul the Apostle is our brother. In fact, the word tells us that even Jesus is our brother. That's an amazing thing. Not that we're his equal, but he stooped far enough that he'd be willing to be called that, our brother. Let's serve him. Let's honor him. And as we do, keep our focus on him, doing our part in all this. It's God's work. It's Jesus' church. He's going to grow it. But as we follow those two commands that Jesus gave us, the greatest commands, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's not three commands there. Some say, well, we, we, we love ourselves and we love others, and we have to love ourselves before we can love others. No, no. If you love yourself, you won't love others because you're going to protect yourself when it can be dangerous to love others. You know, just one thought. You know, they're, they're within our culture, and, within, and sadly it's within the church. People will say, you know, that person is just too toxic for me. I have to stay away from them. What kind of servant's heart is that? It's a question. I mean, it's something that is very, very common in our culture and within the church. What if Jesus said, you're too toxic for me? You know what I mean? I mean, that, that strikes to the heart of us, you know, because sometimes we, we do see that it just does me no good to be involved in that person's life. We have to be careful. See, when we define someone who has that toxicity as, a, as someone we fellowship with, that's a problem. But if we define them as someone that we minister to, that's where God wants us. That's where God wants us. Because if you fellowship with them, they will mess you up. If they are just someone that God has sent you to in order to serve them, to be an example, to bring them to Christ, to love them in that way, yes, yes. People aren't toxic. It's sin that is toxic, certainly. But we are sent to be used by God to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, so they see the truth of it, they see the reality of it, and as they do, they will come to Christ, Christ will save them, and then God will change their lives. Father, help us to do so. Help us to be a part of that. Help us to love. Help us to speak truth. Help us to make disciples. Be with us as we do so. Be glorified and honored through these things, Lord, we pray. Be glorified and honored in our lives. Be glorified through the things that we do, the places that we go, the things that we speak, our own hearts, our own attitudes, as it is ours to, to love you first and foremost and to love people around us secondly. 
so that, Lord, you will be glorified, so that you will be honored, so that you can use us to accomplish your purposes in the lives of people around us. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of learning what, what you did in the lives of men that have lived so long ago that we see in the scriptures. Paul, Barnabas, even John Mark, as we see, we talked about him becoming useful to the Apostle Paul later. Silas, Timothy, oh, the way that you used them. Use us, God, we pray, in the lives of people around us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.